0: Is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail against me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confidence. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tents. He will lift me high upon a rock. Father, we've gathered today in your name, We desire that one thing, to dwell in your house, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So open our eyes today so that we would not be fixated upon the glitter of this world, but our eyes would be captivated by the beauty and the glory of all that you are. Father, we pray that through your spirit you would Soften our hearts so that it would be good soil to not only receive your word, but to be changed by it, and to fall in love with Jesus more because of our worship before you today. And God, we want to intercede for the high school students of this nation who have been preparing for this exam in many ways their whole life, that you would speak truth into their hearts this week truth of who they are their identity is not based on a grade or a test score but that you love them that they are loved without condition that they are loved for all of eternity because you father in heaven made them just as they are so i pray also for all the parents who have been applying pressure on their children for all these years all these days that they too would experience a change of heart this week to extend grace and love and blessing over their children. Turn the hearts of the parents back to the children and turn the hearts of children back to them. And may you turn the hearts of both children and parents back to you. Let this nation return back to you fall upon our knees in humble repentance and to cry out to you for mercy and grace again. And so, Lord, we ask for that same mercy and grace now so that we would be changed by your word. Father, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, anoint me, empower me, and preach through me today so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and honorable in your sight. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is your calling in life? You know, it's a question that everyone seeks to find an answer for. Uh, My calling into pastoral ministry uh, came to me while I was a freshman in college. I shared, I think, the longer version uh, several years ago, but for those of you guys who missed it, I'll give a, a brief synopsis of how God called me into pastoral ministry. Uh, came during my first year in college, actually my first semester in college. I was spending a lot of time in prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord's direction so that I would not waste any of my college years. I really wanted to prepare well, and so that became my prayer. I said, God, prepare me. As much as you can to use me as much as you can, and so uh, I prayed, and I asked god god if it's, if you want me to go in business, let it be clear so I can prepare for business if it 's going to be architecture, let me prepare for that if it 's ministry, let me prepare for that and so I sought the Lord, and that first semester, God brought confirmation through various ways and for I know for many people uh, they 've found this helpful, so there are four things in particular that God. Uh, I felt used to bring confirmation for my uh, professional or vocational calling and that was number one uh, after a lot of time in prayer in fasting I did start to grow an inner conviction I had an inner passion that was burning and growing for ministry and uh, I realized that that was something that I was falling in love with number two Uh, I started to examine how God wired me, how God gifted me, how God made me, and looking at my gifts and strengths and also uh, what I not only enjoyed doing, but what did other people really compliment me on? Like if I was involved with something, what did they also affirm? And also it was usually in the context of ministry. Number three, it was through the confirmation of my peers, my friends, my best buddies that I grew up with that knew me well, Uh, they would also speak into my life, saying that Eddie and I really can see you going into ministry. And number four, the confirmation of older spiritual mentors, pastors, missionaries, older brothers and sisters of the faith that also knew me well and walked closely with the Lord, that they also spoke that same message into my life. And so all these different ways, uh, God seemed to have been pointing me in that direction. And so... Uh, as a result I took that step of faith and obedience and decided to change how I studied what I studied and how I got involved in our church ministry life in the campus that I was a part of now we may all have specific types of professional or vocational callings that we strive to find uh, but there are also certain callings from God that is for every believer There are certain callings that God has placed upon our lives for every Christian who follows after him. And so that's the type of calling that I want to look at today. Uh, Not our specific vocational callings per se, but the life calling that God has placed over every believer. And that's what Peter will outline for us in this portion of his letter. We continue our study through the uh, letter of First Peter, and today we're going to be looking at the call placed upon every Christian. Now, we obviously need to know our calling in order to fulfill our calling, but as we understand this calling, we're also called to obey and fulfill it as well. So open your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 and following, and uh, let's look at the call of every Christian. You can follow along with me in your outlines as well and let's explore what these callings are for us. So first of all, the calling for every Christian is a call to love through your life. So everyone, repeat, love through your life. All right, so that's our primary calling, to love through our lives. First Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly and sisterly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. What is Peter asking us to do? In essence, he is calling us to love through our lives. And the first place that we are to express this love is in the church. It is a call to love the church despite its imperfections. Amen? Amen. That we are called to love the imperfect bride of Christ. The imperfect bride that not only Christ loves, that he died for. Because how we treat the bride of Christ ultimately is a reflection of how we treat him. You know, when we look in uh, the book of Acts and we see about Saul's conversion, Saul turning into Paul. An interesting thing happens that during his conversion, he is walking on the road to Damascus, and suddenly he has a vision, and it gets blinded, and Jesus speaks to him because up until that point, Saul is on a crusade to kill off Christians. And so Jesus speaks to him on the road and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. He doesn't say, why do you persecute my people? He doesn't say, why do you persecute my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? And what that reveals is that there is an extremely close connection in God's heart with the church and Jesus. So much so, Jesus says, when you hurt the church, you are hurting me. When you speak against the church, you're speaking against me. That's pretty heavy. But that is how much Jesus loves his church. So, therefore, we are to protect the unity of the church. Express sympathy to the hurting and brotherly and sisterly love to the family of faith. With a tender heart, keep your heart, soft, people of God. Don't let it grow hardened by our flesh and our bitterness. And keep a humble mind. So our families of faith need to take a priority in our expressions of love. The world will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another, Jesus tells us. Therefore, protect the unity of the church, especially in this season. Amen, OEM? Protect the unity of the church. Jesus loves this church. Extend care and compassion to those who are hurting, for this is our call. And specifically to the hurting and the suffering, he goes even further. Look at verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And you will find today and in the days to come, to the completion of this letter, God's sovereignty of how relevant these passages will be for OEM in this season right now. And God is giving us an opportunity to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. So let's live out scripture. Amen, OEM? Let's live out this text. Let's live out First Peter in the season that God, in his sovereignty, has allowed us to go through together. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. Be people who bless, even when you are cursed. Even when you are misunderstood, be people who bless. As people of God, we do not pay back evil for evil because that is the way of the world. And we are not of this world. Amen? We do not respond to gossip with more gossip. We do not respond to slander with more slander. We are to speak truth in love, yes, But we are also called to bless when we are cursed. To this you were called, Peter says in verse 9. Why? So that you may obtain a blessing. The difficulties that we go through, that we experience through others, it is an opportunity to gain greater blessings from the Lord as we trust Him and speak forth blessings to those who seek to do us ill. Why do we do this? Because God wants to bless you. Blessed are those who bless. Those who sow seeds of blessings will gather a harvest of blessings in due time. You know, I love how the Message Bible translates uh, this issue in Matthew chapter 5. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, says, I'm challenging this notion. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best the sun to warm, the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good and bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live live out of your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. What a beautiful translation of what kingdom living is to look like. This is how kingdom citizens are to live. In a world that is not our home, we don't live like this world. Blessed are those who bless, especially when responding to a curse. Verse 10 and 11. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceits. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. A truly blessed life by God will cover over those who keep their tongue from evil. The blessings of God cover over those who hold their tongue from evil, who keep their lips from speaking lies. Because another way that we love through our lives is by the words that come out of our lips. Because that is a reflection of what's going on in your hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke 6:45. Verse 12: For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So a great blessing of living a life of love is that the favor of God will rest upon you. That his ears are turned to those who humble themselves in this way and follow him. His eyes are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Meaning he invites himself to a new level of intimacy for those who suffer unjustly. His presence rests upon those people who trust him during that time. But his face turns away from those who do evil. So it is our call to live a life of love no matter what we face. Martha Myers was a was an American missionary doctor serving the poor in Yemen. She was working in a Baptist hospital in the city of Jibla for many years, serving the sick, the poor, and especially the children of that community. She was verbally threatened and abused often by men who hated the fact that she was a Christian. But she would always respond with love and grace. Her patients, who loved her, uh, would often speak up. Uh, on her behalf shouting insults to the men who insulted her but she taught them to bless when people curse she said because that is how the savior that i love has taught me to respond to cursing so they took note of that one day a man came into the hospital holding what appeared to be a baby wrapped in cloth in his arms, and when he reached Martha, he unwrapped the blanket and pulled out a pistol instead, and he shot her point blank, and she died. He was doing what many men were doing during that period, and that was targeting American Christian lives. Her death left the community in shock and in sorrow. They felt deeply loved by her and therefore they loved her deeply as well. Hundreds were weeping over her loss. The people she comforted, those she vaccinated, those she healed, those she led to faith in Christ. There was a city and a community in mourning. The community gathered together by the hundreds to honor her and her death. But also they wanted to honor her savior by following the example that she left. So they gathered together, not to protest, not to shout curses at her murderer. They gathered together to pray blessings over the man and over the people who hated her. They prayed for their salvation. They prayed for their repentance. They prayed that God would have mercy on their souls just as God had mercy on them. Martha's life and the lives of those she touched was a message of love. And it turned out to be a testimony for the whole community. That is the calling for every believer. We are called to love through our lives. And I want to celebrate that uh, with last week being Orphan Sunday, we gave out the opportunity for people to be pioneers for the first pilot program that we were allowed to have by this nation uh, where expats can become uh, foster care givers and parents for north korean children uh, who are living in south korea and i want to celebrate that there are uh, 13 families that stepped up in oem said we want to be a part of this And also three other families contacted me from other churches, and we praise God that 16 families uh, will still have to go through the process and all these other steps to prepare, but we have potentially 16 families who will now become caregivers for North Korean children in this country. Amen? That's awesome. So we want to celebrate that. So thank you. So thank you for all of you who decided, I want to live a life of love. I want to love through my life to these North Korean children. And So uh, we pray blessings over that step of faith as well. So we are called to love through our lives. But as another calling for every Christian is a call to lay down your rights. So everyone repeat, lay down your rights. 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So he was saying, be ready to suffer while you live a righteous life. Be ready to face unfair treatment for doing the right thing. Be ready to be criticized for walking the straight and narrow. In other words, be ready to lay down your rights as you follow Jesus. You see, your reactions to difficulties is a reflection of the condition of your hearts and your faith before God. So when we react with grace so that even our reactions become a testimony and a witness to God's grace in our lives, There is great glory that comes to the Father. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So... When people ask you, why do you still hope in Christ despite the harsh treatment? Why don't you retaliate when you have every right to? That becomes an opportunity to point people to Jesus and say, why don't I do that? It is because of Him. It's because of Jesus. Because I trust Him and I follow Him. And I know that He will right all wrongs one day. That's why. Verse 16 and 17, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Keep your eyes on Jesus in the midst of suffering and shame. Because he walked that path of laying down his rights. For us. and Because he is reserving blessings for all who suffer for doing good. All believers who suffer for doing good will receive special blessings. Do you believe it? Look at verse 14 again. But even if you should suffer for what? For righteousness sake, that you are living a righteous life and you suffer, even if that happens, what does he say? You will be blessed. Amen? That you're living for the Lord, you're seeking His kingdom, you're walking in righteousness, and then you suffer unfairly. Keep your eyes on Jesus, trust Him, follow Him, you will be blessed as you're following Jesus and the road that he walked. Follow Jesus. Leave the results and the reactions of others up to God. You follow Jesus. Amen? Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me." This verse was an important verse for me growing up. Uh, it was one of the first verses I memorized, but also when I was in college, it was a key verse that we memorized for our short-term mission trips. That's verse and Philippians 2, 14, 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing. <laughs> and that's why Pastor Matt and all of these other pastors, they drill you guys on these verses because I was drilled on them. Um. These two verses were probably one of the most favorite verses of my leaders when I was growing up. Uh, When we were doing push-ups by the hundreds, we had to recite these verses. (laughs) When we were doing morning exercises at 4 a.m., we had to do these verses. (laughs) When we were pushing our trucks that were stuck in mud rivers, we said these verses. It was an important verse during my early years in ministry as well. Because it taught me a foundational principle of the Christian life and of Christian ministry. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Meaning, I am dead. Why is that important to know? I am dead. It's important to know because a dead man has no rights. The eddy that would once demand his rights to have things go my way, that eddy has been crucified with Christ. And he no longer lives. But Christ lives in him. Therefore, the life that he le- lives, he will now live by faith, trusting in the God who died and rose again and who reigns forevermore in His sovereignty, trusting in the goodness of God in all facets of life. That's what it means to be crucified with Christ and to be raised in Him. You trust Him as you follow Him. Even through the narrow roads where few people walk, where everybody else is demanding their rights and their ways. You die to yourself. You trust. You follow. You see, I have no right to complain because everything that happens in my life now has been filtered through the sovereign good hand of God. And everything that happens to my life, everything that happens to my life is grace and mercy. Everything. You see, we cannot control our circumstances. We can't control how people will treat you. But we can control how you respond to those circumstances. And that's what we will be judged for. And the principle that now comes into greater relevance for our lives is something that I shared a few weeks ago, knowing that several weeks later you guys would understand the depth of this principle more, and now I can reiterate it. You need to realize that everything that happens in your life is an opportunity to trust God and to be transformed into the image of His Son. Everything that comes into your life, every circumstance that hits you by surprise, is an opportunity to express faith and trust in Christ, and it is an opportunity to allow Christ to be formed in you. Everything. Everything. Every moment. Every circumstance that comes into your life, From now until glory is an opportunity for you to say, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I live in the body. I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who loved me enough to give Him Himself for me. Everything is an opportunity to trust Him and to allow God the Father to form Christ. Let him form Christ in you in this season. Come out of this season looking more like Jesus. Come out of this season shining more of Jesus. Amen. Trust his sovereignty, trust his supremacy. Trust his grace and mercy trust his wisdom that is much higher than ours knowing that there is a day of reckoning coming he will reward all who trusted him enough to follow when we do not fully understand to bless though we are cursed you see a calling for followers of Jesus is a call to lay down our rights at the foot of the cross. So for every Christian, we receive a call to love through our lives. We receive a call to lay down our lives, to lay down our rights. And we receive a call to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone repeat, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3, 18. says for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous why did he do that that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirits the reason why christ came was to die for our sins and to bring us to god because sin separates us from god God loves us. He wants us to be with him for all of eternity. And because sin separates, he needed to make a way for sins to be forgiven and for lives to be atoned for. And this is the message that the world needs to hear. Sin will separate you from God for all of eternity until our sins are dealt with at the foot of the cross. That's why Christ came, so that you can be forgiven, that you could have life eternal with him. Chuck Colson in his book A Dangerous Grace spoke of a show that MTV aired uh, several years ago looking at how modern society views traditional sins. And so MTV aired the special report that interviewed uh, celebrities, pop stars, and also teens of this generation, and it was entitled The Seven Deadly Sins and it was uh, asking them what they thought of these traditional sins that people considered the deadly sins, uh, such as lust, pride, anger, envy, sloth, greed, and gluttony. They went to different people. They uh, asked rap star Ice-T what he thought about this list of sins. He glared into the MTV camera and said, Lust isn't a sin? What are you talking about? These are all dumb. And then actress Christy Alley said, Pride is not a sin, is it? I think some idiot made this up. Who made this list up anyway? And then when she was told it's centuries of understanding these deadly sins, she goes, oh, I don't want to offend any monks or anything, but I think that list was stupid. She was really bothered by the anti-ego list. Uh... But what these interviews revealed was that this modern generation uh, is not only ignorant, they are completely clueless about basic moral categories, even from one generation ago. There was not a word in this program about moral responsibility, repentance, or objective standards of right and wrong. This generation is lost. But there is a Savior that wants them found. And that is why God has given you the call to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Verse 19 and 20, "...in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water." Verse 19 stresses that Christ's message must be proclaimed to those who are in the prison of sin. And as in the days of Noah, we're living in a day where people don't care about God, but they do as they please. And this phrase, as in the days of Noah, is actually an end-time phrase in the Bible, and it is a reminder of the judgment day that is coming. And it could happen at any time. Therefore, be ready. Verse 21 and 22, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, you might have been surprised if you just read verse 21 for the first time. What, did it just say baptism saves you? Eddie, I I I thought you said baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't. This does not mean that baptism is the source of salvation. It is saying that what baptism symbolizes is what saves you. We are only saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so what Peter is saying here is that what baptism is a picture of is that we have been joined with Christ, buried with him in baptism, raised with him unto newness of life, That is a picture of salvation. And Peter is also saying here that there is a water judgment, a judgment of water that killed during the days of Noah. It buried everybody in that water. But now there is a judgment that Christ took for us as water covered them in the past to death. The ground of judgments covered Christ in his burial. Now Christ took that burial, Christ took that death for us. And when we place our trust in him, we join him in that burial or in that baptism. But also we are joined not only in his death, we are raised with him unto life. Now all who are in Christ partake in that promise of new life. So we must declare this message to a dying world. There is a prison of sin that all people are in. There is a judgment coming, and it will come quickly. And only Jesus can save us from this coming judgment as we place our trust in him. This is our message, and this is our calling. Max Lucado once said this, The cross did uh, what sacrificed lambs could not do. It erased our sins, not for a year, but for eternity. The cross did what man cannot do. It granted us the right to talk with, love, and even live with God. You know, Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, a global campus ministry reaching uh, many, many people around the world. And he was on his deathbed, and he was nearing death, and the doctors said he probably only has a couple months left to live. And so uh, that ministry that he started uh, reached more, f- more than 4 billion people around the world with exposure to the gospel uh, since it started in 1951. And his wife, as they were approaching these final months, so they thought, uh, quoted John 14. And she spoke to loved ones who were gathered around and said, along with thi- this passage and others, um, God has helped prepare me for what I'm about to share with you. She thought she was going to share that her husband's about to die. She writes, It appears that what God has prepared for Bill uh, in heaven is about ready for him. Jesus said in John 14, When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. So again, they thought that he would die within a couple of months. But surprising everyone, he lived another two years. And within that time period, he wrote 15 more books and launched two more global ministries, one called the Global Pastors Network and another the Discover God Movement. Why didn't he slow down when everybody thought he only had a couple more months to live? Why didn't he just take it easy? Because he knew one of his primary callings from God was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew that whether he had two months left, two years left, or two days left, a calling of his life was to share the good news that sinners can be saved by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And so he was committed matter how much longer he had to live, as long as he had breath, he was going to preach the gospel to a lost world. He surrendered his life fully to Christ and committed to being a blessing every moment of of his life. I can't even imagine the blessings that awaited him and the rewards when he entered glory. But rewards await not only the Bill Bright's or the Billy Graham's who celebrated his 96th birthday yesterday, but every believer who faithfully fulfills God's call upon their lives, they too will be greatly rewarded for trusting, cherishing, and following him. Those who chose to obey the call to love with our lives, those who chose to obey God's call, to lay down our rights, those who chose to obey God's call to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the call of every Christian, and that is the call that we are called to fulfill today. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray right now, and uh, first and foremost, if there is anyone here who has never surrendered your life and your sins to Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his joy, to receive his promise of life with him for eternity. If you have never surrendered your sins and your life and would like to, I to encourage you to simply place your hand over your heart as a symbol of your life and ask God to take away your sins and fill you with his joy, with his forgiveness. For the rest of us, can we also pray that God would allow us to trust him enough to bless in this season, to bless, though it is difficult, to bless even if you are So let's be a people of blessing to truly be blessed. Let's pray.